Welcome to the Tech Pathfinder podcast, where we explore the impact of technology on the people in your workplace. Hello and welcome to the Tech Pathfinder podcast, where we explore the impact of technology on the people in your workplace. I'm your host, JP, and I help businesses get the most out of their technology through the engagement and support of their people. In today's episode, we're going to explore the ways in which we can further diversity, equity and inclusion within our organisations by embedding DEI into our ways of working. When looking to support or enhance diversity, equity and inclusion into our organisation, the instinct might be to create a policy, start a committee and support a few outward facing causes to show the world how inclusive the business is. And as much as these sorts of initiatives can support change, real progress comes from integrating that DEI into everything that your organisation does. In this episode, I get the pleasure to speak with Yolanda Kerr, Head of Growth in APAC for TDC Global, about how DEI can be woven into the fabric of your business to truly be successful, how to prioritise inclusion at all levels of the organisation, and what role the emergence of AI is going to play in supporting or subverting your DEI efforts. Welcome to the show, Yolanda. Hi, thanks for having me. Really excited for the discussion. Absolute pleasure. Likewise, as am I. Um, before we start, before we get into the nitty gritty, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background and TDC Global. Yes, yeah, sounds good. My name is Yolanda Kerr. So as you mentioned, I'm head of growth of APAC for TDC. Um, uh, TDC is essentially a diversity, equity and inclusion consultancy. And we're really synonymous with uh, owning the APAC space. Um, what we help organisations do is we focus or we tend to focus on three um, areas of diversity. So gender, generational and also cultural and what we're trying to do is help organizations to attract retain and advance um, the diverse talent and as you said to essentially optimize business outcomes to optimize teams um, to help with incre- increasing retention increasing attraction all of these different components but me personally um i really didn't i didn't come from an hr background i didn't come from a, a dni background my background's actually i'm an ex criminal defense lawyer uh, from glasgow in scotland and if you know glasgow you don't know glasgow glasgow's sheriff court is actually one of the busiest courts in europe not for a good reason, might I add, um, but I worked between there and also one called Paisley. And Paisley is a really interesting one. It has less cases, but it actually has, um, I suppose, more intense cases that do come through there. Um, the reason I ended up pivoting into to DNI was that I personally experienced, you know, inclusion and particularly non-inclusion, especially in the, the legal industry. And a lot of people can make an assumption that it was, I suppose, I was feeling discrimination from my male counterparts, but I had just as bad experiences with my female counterparts. And I really observed my productivity and how my, I suppose, discretionary effort and my ideas and my innovations really, really crippled as a result because I just felt like I couldn't share. And it was always really frustrating when I had an idea and I was like, I'm just, I'm not speaking up, like literally anxiety overload. And then someone shares it and they're like, fantastic idea. And I was like, gosh, that was my opportunity. So naturally it kind of progressed into, okay, how can I actually 
make a difference in this space, moved over to Australia. Um, I actually started from the ground up. I walked away from legal and um, ended up later. I was literally a restaurant manager. I was an EA. It's a very humbling experience. Um, a lot of people don't want to walk away from the title of a solicitor, but I was like, no, I really need to do this. And here I am. So many years later as the head of growth for a DNI consultancy. So it sounds like it was all, all meant to be. Yeah, that's fantastic. And similar, my, no, similar is, is probably stretching my background a little bit, but I came out of high school and studied policing at university. So um, looked to, to get into, into law and into, um, you know, into that, into that world. So it, it's one of those things you, I, I think from a, from a legal perspective, you'd still have a lot of exposure in the same way that police do that you, yeah. you know, you're dealing with a lot of people dealing with, you know, some of the worst things that's happening to them in there. You know, the way I, I described it is that a police, a police officer works with someone on the worst day of their life, the worst day of their week, worst day of the year. It's either because something's happened to them or they've, they've done something wrong and, and been caught. Um, yeah. So it's a very, it's a very testing and trying environment to, um, you know, to, to work in and, and, it has a lot of stresses on on you as an individual. So for you to sort of see, you know, the opportunity to to take those learnings and and, and make a real difference is fantastic. And it, it jumps into, I guess, the first question. And, and in the intro, I mentioned that you know a lot of organisations do start with creating a DEI policy, having you know some small engagements. Maybe it's a a committee that started. I've certainly you know done this as as organizations in the past where we've started at that starting point and these factors are really important they, they do play a role in, in change but the lasting impact that certainly you and your team work with organizations around that more holistic change about how the business thinks how they work and how everyone operates with that DEI mindset can you explain that approach to me um, if you don't mind yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> the first thing I'd say is I suppose you've got to start from somewhere. So, you know, when you were explaining to me your experience and the difference that you made in initiatives that you did, you know, you've got to start from somewhere. And when it's not coming from leadership, when employees feel empowered to do something, it's actually a fantastic authentic way for it to, to go. So I'm always mindful of where an organization also is. And but I remember I was recently at a panel and it was for um, immigrant women who had started their business. And I was there to talk about how they can see more diversity in their roles. And I really needed to be mindful that they're already in a really tough environment. They've already stretched. Um, and it wasn't about placing guilt on them doing it or not doing it. It was about what can you do with the resources that you have now. So I would say that it really depends on where the organization is. But the risk of only relying on that or only relying on these smaller initiatives, there's quite a few. The first one I would say is that at one point, it will be very tokenistic. And people will pick up on that very, very quickly. So there's organizations who over the years, multiple who've reached out to us and be like, can you be on the panel for our International Women's Day? And um, International Women's Day is a really interesting one for us as an organization because we know it's there and we actually don't really celebrate it because we see it as every day. Same as like recognizing all diversity groups. So it's when you hear an organization being like, I really need to get in someone for an event, it's very tokenistic. And people now have got too much 
information at their fingertips that they can really see through. The other as well is that if you focus too much on these smaller initiatives and actually they don't all interweave, then you'll feel it at the organization. And again, it's just really not authentic. So what happens with that is you have disengaged employees um, and you don't have an ROI. You really don't have an ROI with it. And what that means is that when you go to do initiatives later on, you've really lost buy-in and you've also made the barrier of entry for people to engage much, much higher. So I would say that where you want to be pivoting is certainly you need to start from somewhere. Um, but you definitely want to have a bottom-up and a top-down approach. We say that when it comes to inclusion and non-inclusion in an organization, there tends to be three barriers. The first one is a cultural barrier. And so that's what the day-to-day really does look like. And that's where trainings do come in and play a big part. So that's cultural. The second is visual. So do I see myself represented in the leadership team? If I do, probably more inclined to stay because I would feel that I would be recognized and valued. If I don't, does that mean that I'm not going to miss out on their promotion? So visual has a huge, huge part to play. And then the third is systems and processes. And so what processes and policies are in the background that are actually helping with attraction, retention and advancement? And the reason I bring up these three barriers is because when it does come to DNI initiatives, is you want to be touching on all three of these. You want to have a holistic approach that does look at your processes and systems because you can give the best trainings, but we're all humans at the end of the day. So we are going to make mistakes and we're not going to eradicate all of the unconscious biases that we do have. So it's almost like your systems and processes catch anything that slips through the net. Uh, and you do want to be taking that approach. So we try and put it on those three se- the streams to make it a bit more, um, I suppose, a bit more approachable and easier to digest. Yeah, I think if if it's if there is that overall strategic approach, an organisation's more likely to have a change management mindset about implementing these things. So you're you're actually and you know however you go about that change management process, you're actually you know looking at the, and considering what are the impacts, what what is the perception across the organisation, how do we negate those, how do we make sure people have information for all of the changes that we're going to make, and mm. then you're iterating it as well. You're looking at it on the on the flip side, how is what's worked, what's not, what do we need to evolve, what do we need to change. Whereas if you are just running one initiative or a number of smaller independent initiatives, you're not you're not taking that broader mindset of of it's something that we're doing consistently rather than. Here's a, here's a fun little project that we, we think will, you know, boost boost morale in the organisation. I can agree more. And it's really interesting you bring in change management because that's actually one of the things I was thinking about when, you know, when you asked me this question, because it is all about change management and you do want to tackle it like you would any other, I suppose, um, any other pillar that you're wanting to implement in your organisation. But I wanted to share some stats because I think, Because to not have a strategy when you could have this impact, I think that we need to go all the way back to why are you doing this in the first place and are you actually really bought in? So there's so much research um, out there to be able to show the impact of embedding DNI. So the first one is that if you have an inclusive and if you have a diverse team and it's inclusive, you're three times as likely to be high performing. 
more performing. So, so you'd be three times more likely to be a high performing team. The next is that you should see an increase of over six times the innovation within your team as well. And organizations who also have um, strong d initiatives, um, the stat there is that they have eight times um, more in terms of achieving their business outcomes as well. And so there's really in-depth research paper uh, on this. And, well, you know, you could go into... But define high performing, but define innovative, etc. So they took uh, they took out what they saw as you know critical components like high performing, like working well under pressure and quality of work not being, I suppose, uh, diminished. So different components like that. But if you were even to take that eight times more likely to be able to reach your business outcomes, that's worth a strategy. That's worth taking time out and investing in it as well. So I would say that really educating yourself on what are the actual stats behind it and then moving into once you've got that buy-in, it moves into action pretty quickly. Yeah, and I think you, you mentioned earlier around tokenism with smaller initiatives. If it's not, if there isn't real meaning and purpose behind it, it can seem tokenistic. And I've seen a lot of organisations where they they decide, right, well, we're going to, we, we want to rectify the situation for our senior leadership team so any any new hires we're going to um you know we're going to be you know more inclusive and think about what we're doing and then you see skepticism within the organization where you know that person only got the role because of you know because they're a woman or that person only got the role because they're you know they they've got an ethnic background or, or that person only got the role because they're they're working in in the head office and they're not a remote person so how how do you navigate that, I guess, scepticism and that, you know, it's kind of a dandy you do, dandy if you don't kind of scenario. You go through the process, you, you and, it, and it always baffles me and, and in the way that people never stop and think for other hires, oh, he only got that role because he's a middle-aged white man. Like he, he only got that role because, um, you know, because of the same, you know, the same reasons, the same arguments that you might be having for that person only got the role because... So what, why do you think that is? And, and I guess, how do, you, how do you navigate that? Yeah. Oh, so much to talk about here. <laughs> so much to talk about here. I would say it's definitely, it's definitely a trend coming up about reverse discrimination. You know, yeah. people are now saying, this is turning into reverse discrimination. And I wish I, I, wish I had this source to hand you right now. But and what I'd say is I can send you this over. Um, so that for anyone who does want to read this research paper that they've got it to hand. But essentially, there was a researcher, um, a pretty well-known one, their names completely escaped my head. But it was that they analysed what was happening in terms of the hiring processes that were impacting reverse discrimination. And so it was essentially of the men who, talk just gender, of the men who were taken out of the hiring process to make room for women, what was the impact? And what they discovered was that in making the hiring process more inclusive, they were actually only taking out the male candidates who weren't considered high performing and it made room for the high performing women. And yeah. so at the end, the researcher who was a female said if her son was ever to come to her and say, well, I experienced reverse discrimination in the hiring process, she, she said that she would say, no, son, that wouldn't have happened because those processes only take out non-high performing people and you are a high performer. Are you telling me you're not a high performer? And so she's saying that it's making room actually for high performing. 
The next I would say is that a question that really grates on me, rightly or wrongly, is I just want the right person for the role. And it is one I feel sometimes used as an excuse and sometimes people just aren't asking better questions now or challenging that because what you actually should be looking at is who's right for the role, who's right for the team and who's right for the business. You really need to be expanding on what that does look like because if you just keep going for the person who's right for the role, then you'll keep going for the same person and you won't ever get to experience a different diversity group coming in or different diversity of talent coming in either because you keep limiting it. I was actually doing a training this morning and it was on inclusive hiring processes and they were like, oh, the risk, the risk, the risk. And it's just, you know, we just had an honest conversation of define risk. Like, and are you over indexing on it? Because it's actually easier to do it the other way. The other component that you brought up as well is, I suppose that trade-off with equity and excellence is a trend that we're seeing going forward. But when you start to ask these questions and you start to take a step back, then you'll be able to see that it doesn't have to be a trade-off, actually. It's just that we're working with legacy systems here. And so they're going to take time, <coughs> excuse me, to unpick them. Um, but it's something that's absolutely necessary. I'd say as well, one thing that we're also hearing is that it's not only people who, I suppose, feel it's not just people that we're hearing negative feedback from in terms of I got looked over for an opportunity because we're trying to um, we're trying to attract more diverse talent. There was actually an organization we were working with in Singapore and they were saying that there was women over there who were saying, we don't want a female only program. Like we, we don't, we, because it's perceived as a weakness that we need to have some more help. And what that company were experiencing was she just got promoted because she's in a skirt, literally word for word, yeah. what was being said. Um, and so it's really felt on the other person um, as well. And they're starting to not, I can't say that like, Overall, but in this particular organization, the women were retreating from the DNI initiatives that were in place because they felt as if they were then also being perceived as the as the problem. Um, I'm not actually on such a rant, uh, GP, that I'm forgetting the original question, but you, you, you've covered it, and it kind of reminds me of um, like a thought that I've had around the there's there's obvious dip in uh, I guess in opportunity that's available for women. And it's probably worth saying with, with DEI, there's, there's a whole range of perspectives that we can look at. We're, we're talking mostly about gender today, but there, there are whole lots of different perspectives that you need to consider when, when thinking about DEI. Yeah. But you see, you see a, I guess, a plateau and opportunity for women uh, in their 30s because they, that's when they go and, and take time off to have children and, and leave the workforce and come back. I wonder if, and I don't know if there has been a study, but it's, it was a, I guess, call it a shower thought for me was, I wonder if there's an increase in, there's, there's an obvious increase in opportunity for, as you term them, you know, people who may not be high performers that can get into roles where the competition is, is you know, a half or third because uh, women are leaving the workforce to, um, to to raise a family and then coming back and they've kind of missed that. So as a, you know, as a, as a man in, in my 30s, it creates opportunity for me and you don't necessarily see like there's no I guess perspective of 
the the positive impact that that has, the opportunity that it creates, the unfair advantage it creates for for men in the workforce. And there's a study um, again. Don't know the name of it. I will have to Google it to find it. But um, I saw recently around um, people in America, African Americans who were born in the 80s and 90s, their parents gave them um, Anglo-sounding names so that they would be less likely to be discriminated against when they're looking for a job or where they're going. And now because of that, um, you know, you call it reverse discrimination, they're getting passed up for jobs where because just, just based on their name because they've got wow. a a white sounding name basically, which is, um, which is kind of, it's, it's sad and ironic in that they've, they've tried to, to beat the system and the system's flipped on them because it's still, it's still trying to, I guess it's, it only happens in cases where the organization's doing it for the case of, of, of balancing numbers rather than looking for genuine, um, you know, skill sets for a particular role. But if names are being considered, then it is, it's having a negative impact on mm. them now, which is which is fascinating. Yeah. Um, it's interesting the, the bias that's even in that in itself yeah. like, to assume something from a name. Yeah, you know they're like they they're missing exactly that they're missing out on um, talent that they are probably looking for because they've made an assumption that it's a Western name. So there's just so many layers to it as well, and I don't profess to be easy, but yeah, it's unpacking those biases like that in itself is ironically biased yeah because it's like you're seeing actually in practice that it is eliminating people from the actual process yeah 100 percent um i wonder if you've got any examples of organizations that have have achieved that have woven dei into their day-to-day into how they operate who's kind of the the poster children that you can see in in the australian um, or, the, or in this region, rather? I'd say the first one for me would actually be Adobe. Um, they're a fantastic organisation who are very, very intentional with their DNI um, strategies and their initiatives. Um, and they do really, really well to shift initiatives from the minority to the majority, which is, I feel like they were already really ahead of that. So there can be an assumption to provide more support for um, underrepresented groups and the actual biggest impact is what's happening around them so the stat is that a manager has over 70 percent of an impact on how an employee feels included or excluded (coughs) so you're you want an roi should actually be focusing in on the managers because they have such a critical role to play on whether a diverse talent feels included or excluded um, in the organization. So I'd say Adobe are a Adobe are a fantastic one because they really look holistically with it. The other um, is that sometimes I can speak to companies and sometimes I can't. So I've got two examples of organizations who I hear that I hear and I know are doing it well. Um, and that is for those who actually instead of having DNI as a pillar, so you can see people have got even say their values or what their mission is and they've got pillar one boom two boom three boom pillar four dni the best organizations flip that diversity pillar and make it horizontal to underpin all of them and i suppose that's what you're you know with your introduction you were saying which is actually ingraining and embedding it in the whole organization so how does that actually look in practice 
it usually means that they have got a team of diversity advisors within the organization that actually get brought in with hiring, that get brought in with um, business decisions, that get brought in for advancement decisions because they underpin the systems and the trainings, etc. So that's one I would say is good. The other, and again, I can't name this company, but it was a really, a really profound um, success story, which is as an organization, you would know the name. Um, they're global and they're in the insurance world. And they saw that they were actually underperforming when it came to having people with visible or invisible disabilities at their organization. So the stat was that within this certain business unit, it could have actually been a country, <coughs> that, excuse me, that they actually had five people who identified as having a visible or an invisible disability. And so within 18 months, they shifted that to over 185, which is actually huge. And what they say that they attributed the excess to was shifting the mindsets of the hiring managers. And they said that they said to them that the best talent is actually hidden. The talent is hidden. And it's that we actually need to be really proactive in going out and finding the talent. So the best talent is hidden. We need to go and find it. And when you think about that and translating that into just an everyday um, an everyday example, like if you lose your phone and you're like, oh my gosh, I need to find it, then you you pull out all the stops and you'll try and get to it when you know that there's a value and a result at the end. So for the hiring managers and for the recruiter, because they then saw value, um, was that they then changed their approach to trying to find this talent. And it was like a North, North Star for them all to be working together. I think as well, the other thing I would want to mention is that sometimes, depending on how much you've educated yourself in the DNI space, some people see this as charitable work to be inviting more diversity into their organization. And it is absolutely not. People yeah. are like, oh, you know, if you know more diverse, I want to, you know, you're welcome. No, actually, yeah. it's, you know, it's because your <coughs> systems haven't allowed it, or there's been biases in play as well. So that's something I'm very passionate about, which is this isn't charitable work. You aren't doing someone a favor. You're actually correcting a system that's been in place for far too long in decades that we now need to change to invite more people into the organization. But to summarize, I'd say Adobe is one. The other organization that's um, moved their values and underpin it with everything. And then the insurance company who said, we really shifted the mindsets of the hiring manager to say that the best talent is actually hidden. Yeah, I like that that concept of, of talent being hidden. And um, yeah, that that situation where, so, oh, you know, you, you're welcome for, for us doing it. Where on the flip side, the organization's the one that's going to benefit the most by having, you know, a, a a broader mindset, a broader level of experiences, you know, a lot more to, to bring to the challenges that the organisation faces if they have a more diverse um, workforce. And you see it in a lot of meetings and you see where you all sit down and you know, it might, let, let's keep it quite generic in what the decision needs to be made, but there's a, there's a sort of leadership team meeting, there's a decision that needs to be made and someone will go, oh, hang on a second, there's so-and-so from... Um, accounts isn't here, so we let's wait until they're back, and we can we can make sure that we get, our, or you know, well, we don't have representation from you know from this team, and that's really important to include it. 
And one of the mindset shifts that I've made over recent years is to sort of stop and think like, who are we not including, you know, certainly on a, on a role level and department level, but you know, what location are we not including? Is there, is this a room full of men making a decision about diversity and inclusion? Yeah. Then we probably need to have a little bit more, um, you know, we need to stop. There's no point continuing until we can move things on. And that's really jarring if, if, and it's a difficult thing to do if you don't have, um, you know, the power or the, I guess the buy-in within an organization to stop a meeting and say, look, this, this meeting is, we're making decisions based on people that aren't being re- represented here. Let's, you know, let's stop, come back when we can make sure that we've got the right input to make a sound decision. Yeah. How, how do you think if, if you're, say you're, you're talking to a, a person who's a you know, mid-level manager in an organization, regardless of, of their gender and background, but they're, they're wanting to make changes in their organization and, and do that. How would you advise them to, I guess, make those those small incremental steps to try and make um you know a bigger impact within their day-to-day i'd say it starts with self first so there's an exercise we do in um, trainings and we do it's basically there's three circles within each other so the first one is your your inner circle your outer circle and then your peripheral and what that looks like is in your inner circle writing who who you interact with the most in your day-to-day and your week-to-week. And it doesn't necessarily mean it's your team. It's just, it can be from different departments. So who do you speak with? Um, The way we phrase it is if someone was to leave an organization, you were going to feel a big impact from it, either personally or within your work. They're in your inner circle. Your outer circle is people that you speak to a, a bit less, but still maybe on a weekly basis. You maybe don't have that personal connection with them, but you, you end up, coming across each other through work and then your peripheral is people who you maybe reach out to every six months like example is someone in accounts or someone in HR if you've got an HR issue then you you randomly reach out to them but that's really it and then you do a bit of an audit how many people in your inner circle have the same gender as you and have the same cultural background as you and have the same visible or invisible disabilities of you and it becomes quite apparent pretty quickly who you've chosen to surround yourself with and then you go into the outer and then you go to the peripheral. And then the action at the end is who can you start to bring in and who can you speak to in the organization to help with broadening your mindset with diversity? What do people need? I think the thing is, is, you know, you're not going to have all the answers. So you need to invite people to the conversation. So that's one I would say is almost looking at self. Um, the next is taking a keener eye in your processes so with this middle manager I'm guessing they're hiring and it's to be a bit more observant of the systems and processes that are in place that are impacting either the talent that are being brought to you by TA or the talent that are actually making it through because most of these are legacy systems so it's taking the time out to actually be more of an observer and think about if I was in their shoes um, if that makes sense. So I would say that like going out of your way to start looking at the, the processes if you can and then providing that feedback to um, to HR. So the, so the systems um, and then actually auditing your circle. Um, and then the next one I was actually going to say was even in your meetings is um, just asking better better questions so indeed have got a great um a a great way of being inclusive at their organization 
and it was actually inclusive of the job seeker. And so um, basically they're making decisions that impact their business, but impact the end user, which for them is the job seeker. So not quite internal diversity, but this is an example of how you can actually bring it in. So what they have in majority of their meeting rooms is an orange chair and no one sits in the orange chair. And it is that when they're making decisions, they actually remember that although physically the job seeker is not in the room, that's their way of making sure that they remember to be making decisions for the job seeker. So if you're needing to invite more diversity in the room, is there almost fictional characters that you could be bringing in to remind you? Yeah, and you often do that from a from a sales or product perspective where you're, you know, you're constantly reminding yourself of the customer. Who is that customer? What is our customer persona? What does that look like? I really like that idea of having a visual visual cue to kind of stop you in your tracks to go, what's that for? And, and then when you have meetings in the, in the office, you bring in a, a client or someone external, oh, what's the orange chair for? It sort of reinforces that it has that really, you know, positive, um, I guess, impact on an, on an ongoing basis. And I, I think regardless of whereabouts you are on your DEI journey, there's, you know, you have to consider your internal impacts, but also your external impacts. Like what, what sort of message does your brand give off? What sort of, um, you know, how do you, how do you, does your process change unknowingly based on, you know, based on diversity within your customer base, based on, um, and that sort of thing. So I think, you know, you've got a greater responsibility to consider that across external and internal as well. So that's a really fantastic way to do it. Mm. I, I want to shuffle across to AI and there's, it's obviously the, the talking point of 2023. I think we'll probably talk about it a little bit next year as well. It's not going yeah. away anytime soon. Possibly. But from a, from a DEI perspective, obviously the really early models of of artificial intelligence. I think there's a famous example of IBM's artificial intelligence tool where they, they used it to shortlist candidates for an engineering role. And because these tools are trained on historical data, on, on previous examples of what they've done, that the shortlist was made up of um, middle-aged Indian men because historically that's what they hired into that role. Yeah. Um, and when they dug into the data, and, and this is an old model, they've, they've corrected it, but it's, it, it poses a really interesting, I guess, perspective, is when they dug into the data, it, the system looked at, based on the information that it provided, it said, well, if, if the person is, um, is not um, of Indian descent, if the person is not a male, if the person is not um, you know, in their mid-30s, then, then they're not likely to get this position because they they don't have the experience or that you know they don't match the profile that you've created based on what, who you've hired in the past, and it's interesting because it ties back to what you said just just now around a lot of the processes, a lot of the ways we do things are based on on legacy on on it's done that way because it's the way it's always been done, and the AI models of creating this fantastic opportunity for for, for TA and for for HR to improve on and speed up administrative tasks and and shortlisting processes and whatnot but i'd love to hear your i guess your perspective on on the impacts of ai is going to have on on how an organization's dei continues to to either grow or, or whether it'll have a negative impact yeah <clears throat> i'd say what you just described there is a really it's the one of the main reasons why we need to be working 
with AI and not relying on it. <clears throat> and so AI helps can help us, but we also need to help AI. There is a fantastic website that I would love to reference, which is called Correct the Internet. And Correct the Internet brings out that it, some great examples of what's already out there on, let's say, Google, for example, of the biases that are already ingrained in the results that we do see. So Correct the Internet is basically you jump onto the website and it shows you facts that are incorrectly coming up on Google. So a good example, and there's a really powerful, powerful advert for this, where there's a young girl in a football stadium and she says, which footballer has scored the most international goals? And there's tens of thousands of like Alexas around her and they say, it is uh, Cristian Ronaldo. Have you seen this, by the way? Yeah, yeah, keep going. I love this. Yeah. Okay, great. And then she's just like, but Christine Sinclair has scored X number of goals, which I think is around about 10 to 15 more of Christine Ronaldo. So she asks the questions again. It says Christine Ronaldo. So you're right. Like the AI is feeding back to us what we're inputting in. Are you allowed to swear in this podcast? I'll allow it. Ah, it's like shit in, shit out. Okay. Yeah. So. It's the quality of what you do put in. And so Correct the Internet is a great opportunity to start helping with these these biases. So I would say it's not going to fix all the problems and we need to be working with it. The next I would say, and I am not, sorry about that, I'm not an AI um, professional or an expert at all, but where it has led me in my work is actually how it can be enabling diverse talent. So when you look at the stats already, what we can see is that the majority of the population, and for talking sakes, we'll say white males, they're interacting more with AI. And there's two impacts coming off the back of that. The first is that they're engaging with it more. So they're feeding in their reality of their world into the machine. And that's what's coming out more profoundly. The second is that they have, they're benefiting from a fantastic opportunity of efficiency and, you know, and essentially having almost like a constant mentor or a constant expert beside you. And so what we're seeing is almost like the tech boom happening again, and that's white men are ahead and women are behind or underrepresented groups. And so we've actually got an opportunity here to try and shift this style and actually focus on helping to ingrain it more um, for underrepresented groups. So we're actually working on quite a large scale campaign that's happening in 2024 with some heavy hitters in the tech industry and the AI industry. And it's to address this need, which is to essentially bridge that gap between the reality and perception of AI. So there's a research paper, um, two actually, one done recently by um, UKG and another one by Student Edge. And that one looked at the different perceptions of AI between men and women. And one example is that women see that there has to be far more regulation when it comes to AI. Whereas men weren't as, nope, nope, cool, I can go with this. Um, they put in more sensitive and confidential information into AI. Now, the reason I'm bringing up what's the point of this is that one trend and one way that you can be really leveraging AI and DNI is actually making programs, um, training programs or campaigns that are going to reach underrepresented groups to show them the benefit of using AI. So for me personally, like I feel friggin' burnt out, okay? Um, but 
I've not really dabbled in AI as much as I probably would have liked to. But if there was a campaign or a program for me that could actually show me the benefits of it and how to utilize it and how to ask it better questions, if we do that at scale, then these products are getting more diversity in it. So helping to reduce the biases in it. I'm actually, you know, I'm working better in my career. To be honest, actually, JP, I'm creating this campaign as a solution for myself as well. And I think sometimes that's the the best way to be creating something because I'm experiencing it. I want to you see the goal. need, right? Like you, you, you've exactly. identified the gap for you personally, and you can extrapolate that out and go, this is something that everyone's in, impacted by. Exactly. Exactly. So one, it helps the product. Two, it helps the business because we do see a higher attrition rate for underrepresented groups through burnout and through not fitting in. And so if there's a way that we can actually help them in their role to work with AI, Mm. to even be like, I'm going for a promotion. How could I present? This is my experience. How can I present this better? Like things like that. Or, you know, you're a marketing person. How can it optimize your um, campaigns and ideas to share in that meeting that's going to be in front of that executive director? So there's so many powerful ways to be to be using it. So I'd say that that's one of the ones which is that there's already a gap in who is interacting with it um, and who is not. There's also that UKG research paper was talking about ways that it can actually help minimize favoritism in work as well. And a good example of that is even shift works. So when there's a shift that needs to be filled, you end up automatically calling the person who usually says yes, because it's easier for you as a manager. Or on the flip side, people who are getting leave and who aren't. Who do you want to give it to, but who actually needs it? So there's all of these different ways. And I would say as well, using it to essentially sound check um, if you've got a strategy or a training program, it can actually be like, can you look at this for me as someone who is um, someone who's been out of the workforce for six years, who is probably concerned about X, Y, and Z, or what, what concerns might come up, these concerns? Okay, how can we apply that into X? So again, you were speaking about if you don't have that diversity in the room, how can you actually create it through AI as well? Um, and if we don't actually correct that usage or engagement with AI for underrepresented groups, I can see it causing quite a few problems in the future. So that would be the key trends I'm seeing. Yeah, that's fantastic. And look, I'd never considered the that that study around the the usage, like who's using AI more, and as a result, like it's being trained on the the questions and the feedback of those individuals. Um, one of the best quotes that I've heard recently um, is from uh, a woman named Amy Webb out of the US. Um, I think it was at the Nordic business forum or something like that earlier earlier in the year and she said ai is magical but it's not magic there's mm-hmm. there's it's taking inputs it's taking feedback it's there's someone doing work whether even though it seems you know this fantastical tool that just miraculously figures stuff out there's there's someone um often in you know in disadvantaged communities where they where wages are low there's someone sitting there saying you know and this is a a oversimplified example of it but looking at two things that come out of a of a of a tool and saying that's a leg that's not a leg that's an arm that's not an arm and so 
the, these tools are, are learning from what we do in, as individuals playing with the tool. You often, if you look into the, the, the T's and C's, for the most part, you're allowing them to learn, use what it, your feedback to, to learn and to evolve the platform. That's why we're up to point four, uh, chat GPT four or five now. Um, we started with one and it's evolved in, in this time. It's based on the feedback. So if, if you've got predominantly men, predominantly Western countries, predominantly, um, you know, so on and so forth, individuals using that tool, you don't have that same diversity informing its evolution. So it's a, it's a really interesting yeah. concept to think about. Yeah. And, you know, the last one I'll say, I'm also conscious of time, but the last one I'll say is that if you look at the jobs that AI is going to replace, and I believe it's up to 70% um, will impact women because a lot of a lot of administrative roles, um, women are employed and they could potentially be wiped. And so there's org industries that actually their stats on female population are higher because you've got you've got more in HR, you've got more in admin as well, and you need to be prepared for what that actually means. There's a great marketing campaign by Fiverr right now, and it's called it says AI took my job in massive block letters, and then a small letters at the bottom to the next level. So it's all about how one you perceive it and how you it can enable your job too but mm. thinking as well about okay um if you are a really on the ball head of hr and head of dni if you're looking 10 years in advance what roles are going to be replaced and how does that impact your ratios and how do you start reskilling these teams and giving them the opportunity so that you can pull them into um, other dimensions other roles I'm glad you mentioned time because we are running out of it, but I do want to ask you one final quick question around, I guess, how, how you know, whether, you, whether you're in HR, whether you're a manager in an organisation, how does an individual stay up to with best practice within DEI? How do you, how do you, how do you make sure, I guess, check and, checks and balances on what you're doing? Is, is it effective? Is it best practice? And how do you stay abreast of, of sort of evolution of how people are, are, are impacting their business successfully? Yeah, other so, than listening to this podcast. Yeah, absolutely, and signing <laughs> up to our newsletter. So I'd say it's just finding a few key, um, a few key communities that you do want to one be part of the the group. Um, there's lots on Slack as well. You'd be surprised how many communities are on there. So I'd be saying signing up to newsletters like TDC uh, Global or Diversity Council Australia. Another great way of doing it is actually putting on Google keyword alerts. And so something yeah. that can help identify trends automatically for you, utilize AI. But I'd say it's all about planning as well. I feel as if if you're intentional in finding out a bit more, like that, you know, even if it's once a month for half an hour, you're going to go out a walk and you're going to just take some time to educate yourself, look through those newsletters. So that's one in terms of leveraging the Internet. And the next is also just keeping in touch with people and reassessing your team's and making sure that you've got more diverse diversity in, uh, in your teams as well. So just always being, I would say, observant. But to keep up to date, the best one is Google Ads alerts to alert you when there's something new and trending. Um, and then just picking, I would say, just two to three key organizations that will feed through. Yeah, fantastic. That's great advice. Um, 
It's been an absolute pleasure. I think we could probably talk for another 45 minutes and, and still only scratch the surface. It's been so great talking to you about this, Yolanda. Thanks so much for taking the time out. Sounds good. Thank you. Bye. Take care. This episode is brought to you by TDC Global. TDC Global are a diversity, equity and inclusion consultancy that enables organisations to succeed by integrating DEI. Through strategy, training and analysis, they equip their partners to attract, retain and advance top talent through leveraging generational, cultural and gender diversity. TDC are a passionate collective of changemakers that spark lasting impact for organisations. Wherever you are on your DEI journey, TDC are here to guide you through the challenges to affect real change. TDC Global, accelerating societal progress towards equity. Thanks to TDC for supporting this episode.